day in our nation's history, um, but we as a church have a responsibility to remember. So today's going to be a little bit different, and uh, uh, we deal with a lot of questions in the midst tragedy. We deal with a lot of pain and suffering in life, and uh, honestly, there are times where we don't feel like we can, we can make it on our own. Uh, I think every one of us can remember where we were uh, when we got that news or when we saw the sights that we saw. Um, It's one of those moments that marks a generation. It's one of those moments that marks history. It's one of those times that, that really just goes into the fabric of a culture that begins to shape how we view things. It begins to to mold our uh, ideas, how we even start to educate our children and how we start to press in or turn away from God. Uh, September 11th was a day that honestly, those that lost their lives were the first casualties in a great war that has been going for 10 years. And we are going to spend some time honoring those victims this morning. We're going to spend some time really as a church uh, diving into a new perspective on suffering, a new perspective on pain. And um, we're going to approach some questions. I honestly, as a pastor, get asked a lot of times uh, questions on behalf of, of humanity uh, in hopes that I can stand before God and gain some insider answers uh, to us as a people. Uh, I get questions like, why does God um, allow so much suffering in the world today? Um, why, is it, why doesn't God end the suffering? If God is all-powerful, if God truly loves us as much as we claim and as much as Scripture tells us, why do we hold that and say, why doesn't God end the suffering? And because we know that God does not, He's not going to put an end to suffering right now, there will come a day. How do we respond in that suffering? And honestly, this, this, this hits home because uh, we look at the symbols of buildings 
uh, and, and today at Ground Zero, which they are asking that from this day forward, we don't call it Ground Zero anymore, but they are gathering there to remember the lives of people. In, in Shanksville, they are gathering in a field to remember the lives of people. At the Pentagon, the lives of people. All of these places and the buildings are mere symbols of a structure and a society that was attacked. And, and we've elevated buildings symbolically to represent pain and suffering and sacrifice. Two towers that stand as a memorial to the first responders that lost their lives giving and serving so that others might have life. And just as much as, as the symbolism and, and uh, the pictures and images of our mind become symbols of suffering, uh, the cross for us as, as Christians is a symbol of the suffering that was bore on our behalf so that we might have freedom, so that we might have life, so that when we look at the cross, we understand that that is a symbol for a sacrifice made so that a way of life is given for us to live in freedom. Today, I think, uh, for my generation, this is one of those times where uh, the, the uh, national pride tends to well up. This isn't a, a political thing. This is, I, I'm grateful and honored and blessed to live in a country where I have the freedom to gather here today. I have the freedom to open the Holy Scriptures and for us to spend time in God's Word. And I'm humbled by those that sacrifice their life so that we could be here today without the fear that can cripple a nation, without the fear of oppression that can push people into the ground. And I want us to look not just to, to buildings. I want us to honor the fallen today. And I want us to not even just look at the cross, but let's look to Jesus. Because without his sacrifice on the cross, we have no hope through the pain of a tragedy like today. As I prepared this, this week was difficult. On the back of your worship guides is everyone, everyone's name that perished on 9-11-2001. Every one of you have a different sheet. There are no sheets the same in this room. There are a hundred and three pages of those that perished at the World Trade Center. There's approximately four pages of names per airplane, and there's six pages of names for those at the Pentagon. As I put those together, the weight hit me that these aren't just lists of names. These are individuals, these are people that God formed and knit together in their mother's womb. These are people that, that had a family. And this week it became very difficult to put this together because it moved way beyond putting a list of names together for us to pray for. And I found myself under the weight of grieving. And then yesterday it really hit home. I got a call yesterday early in the morning that one of our families in the church had lost their 18-year-old son in a car accident. And I began to really focus in on tragedy. And honestly, I'd put together this message over, over the last week, but yesterday 
there is so much clarity. And I know today is, is a heavy day, and this is a, really going to be a heavy teaching. There's not a, lot of, not, a, not a lot of up in it, except for the hope and the peace that only God gives. But as I sat with a family yesterday trying to reconcile the answer of why. Why would God do it this way? But yet on the flip side, it, almost in the same breath of that conversation, we could praise God because of the hope we have. Because their son, uh, the, the father, looked at me and he said, Matt, I have the date written down in my Bible when my son gave his life to Christ. And he said, I have a hard time being sad because I know he's in heaven. And he said, I, I think I'm having a harder time reconciling the, the, the pain of losing my son, yet he is where God has always longed him to be. And he said, I don't know as a dad how to handle that. And as we sat in tragedy, we sat suffering together, God really began to formulate this new perspective on suffering. If you've got your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 5. We're going to step out of Matthew today. And yes, I understand that that adds one more week to our journey through Matthew. <laughs> but that's all right. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the end of the rows for you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, please uh, take that. That is our gift to you. Um, that is our... Uh, way of getting God's word into your hands. And uh, if we run out of Bibles, we'll order more. But uh, the, the symbol of the cross and, and the symbol of that sacrifice has, has stood the test of time. Uh, it has stood the mocking. It has stood uh, the opposition from an enemy and principalities and rulers of darkness. It has stood the opposition of humanity uh, when we as a people group uh, tend to be at odds with the cross. The cross has stood, and I, I, will, I can put my faith and my hope on this, that the cross will stand. And what, what strikes me is, is that day when the towers fell, what, what remained standing was a section of steel that was formed in the shape of the cross. And how we are reminded yet again of God's sacrifice, of God understanding our pain, and how the cross will stand that test of all humanity. And it's through that cross, uh, and it's through Jesus' sacrifice on that cross, that we can have justification. Uh, it says that we are justified in Christ. And I, that's, that's a big Christianity word, um, and I'll break it down because uh, I don't use big words a lot. But justified, if you want to break it down, it's this. Just as if I'd never sinned. And so when we accept that, payment that Jesus paid for us on the cross, we are able to stand before God and he looks at us in Christ as justified. And he says, you are righteous. And so I want us to get into Romans chapter 5 this morning and I want us to gain a new perspective because justification doesn't just give us the ability to stand right before God. Justification brings so much more. And we're going to kind of track through this this section of scripture here together so that we can understand what justification produces in our life. And, and ultimately, justification is going to produce a new perspective. 
It's going to produce a new perspective on many more things than just suffering and just us gathering to mourn together or to grieve together. It gives us a new perspective on joy. It gives us a new perspective on love. It gives us a new perspective on faith, on relationships, on everything in our life. You see, when, when we are transformed by Christ and we become a new creation, the old has gone, the new has come, then as justified, we see everything in life differently. It's, it's that aha moment that I hope we all come to in our life, that we understand that we see life from a different perspective. And the Apostle Paul begins to write this in, in chapter 5. I'll start at verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What the first thing that justification produces is peace. And when Paul says, therefore, he starts chapter 5 with therefore, you got to go back a couple verses to understand what he's talking about. It's kind of like we just stepped in into the middle of a conversation where Paul's saying, and therefore, the answer is, and we've got to back up to see what question is being asked instead of formulating our own questions when we start reading scripture. So when you go back into chapter four, he's talking about this justification through Christ. That justification all depends on the sacrifice of Christ. He's not saying, therefore, because uh, we think Jesus is a way to God or we think Jesus is a good prophet. No, justification is dependent on the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. And when we accept that sacrifice for our sin, when we say, God, I, I believe it here. It's not, it's not saying a chant to God and getting it in our head right. No, it's a connection between the head and the heart. God, I am reconciling that I understand that you love me so much you went to the cross and gave your life for me and that in my heart I believe that and I long to connect that. Every part of my being, I long to connect that in a relationship with you. If you've ever fallen in love, you understand how the head and the heart have that connection. It's, it's, it's just like neurons firing for the first time. I mean, when you fall in love... You notice things. You have a new perspective on things. You notice birds differently. You, you notice flowers. Guys, we notice stoplights, you know, things like that. So it provides a new perspective, and it provides peace in our life. When we are justified in Christ and made righteous, there's a peace that comes into our life. That peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit fills our life. And what we begin to live is peace. Yesterday, amidst a situation I never want to be, uh, I never want to understand what that feels like to lose a child. As I sit in this, this home, I'm overwhelmed with the peace. I mean, it's what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, the peace that passes understanding. I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm having an internal conversation with God going, God, I just, the peace that is present right here, I don't understand it. But I like it. I trust it. The grace that is covering everyone right now is creating such a comfort. And I can't understand that peace, but I like it. Isaiah 32 tells us that the fruit of righteousness is peace. When we are justified, 
God looks at us as righteous. And so with righteousness in our life, it produces fruit. Justification produces righteousness, which produces peace. The Holy Spirit at work in our life produces peace, even in the midst of turmoil. That even on a day like today where where a, a country grieves together and remembers, there's overwhelming peace. That when we as a a family, as a church family, we hurt together with one of our own who's going through some of the greatest pain imaginable, there's peace. And Paul says, because we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second one is we have access to God, verse 2, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, we try to manufacture peace. Uh, We try to create a comfort zone. And, And let me just tell you, there's a big difference between peace and comfort. We can try to create ourselves a comfort zone that when turmoil strikes, we go into that comfort zone. For me, honestly, food is one of those things that I will try to do to create peace in my life. That when I get stressed out, I eat. Because that that creates a comfort zone. The heavier the food, the better. Gravy. If you see me eating gravy, I'm really stressed out. But we try to create this zone of of comfort around us, and we mask it with peace. The only way we have that is by gaining access to God. You you see, when when we uh, gave our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit moves into our life. And the Holy Spirit gives us access to God. It, it, it's as though, and this word access right now, it, is, it stands for and means entrance to the king through the favor of another. Which means, if you think back to first century times, or you have a king, or even in Old Testament times, or even in medieval times, a king. You have a king, and you could only have an audience with him if he requests it. But there were certain people that could go in anytime they wanted, no matter what they looked like. The king's kids were the same way. Think about our nation, the office of the president. You or I do not have the access or ability to just go walking in and say, hey, just wanted to, just wanted to see your office. You, know, just wanted to, you will be stopped by many secret servicemen. I don't know how many it would take to stop you, but, but you'll get a good idea how many they're going to use to do it. But the president's children can gain access anytime. As justified through faith, through Christ, and the Holy Spirit in our life, giving us access to God, we have the ability as his kids to come into his presence anytime. We don't have to go through a formal meeting process. We don't have to go through a background check. If you're going to serve in kids, you're going through a background check. You don't have to go through a background check. In the the Old Testament temple, there was a veil, a curtain that separated the presence of God, the Holy of Holies. When Jesus gave up his last breath and gave up his spirit on the cross and said, it is finished, the veil was torn in two, representing we have access to the throne of God. The Holy of Holies, the most sacred place of the temple is now accessible by every one of us. 
And in times of tragedy, that is our opportunity in order to gain that peace. Let's press into God. I mean, if you have an emergency, think about this. You tend to lose uh, all sense of manners. You don't care who you're calling and at what time of night because there's an emergency. The formalities tend to go out the window when there's pain involved. When tragedy strikes, you do what you have to do to get things done. And so when we face tragedy and suffering, we get in the presence of God. I mean, the only way we're going to have healing is through the presence of God. The only way we're going to be able to get up and walk as a nation and to to make sure that this uh, sacrifice and this tragedy is not in vain is for us to press into God and get in the, the presence of God. And I know we tend to think, well, we as a nation just... Man, just prayers, just they're trying to shut down. You know, we, we live in a nation that we say one nation under God and there's so much legislation coming against it and our leaders and blah, 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 blah. We can go on down the list of excuses. But let me tell you something. How much are you under God? I was on the phone with Ryan this morning and, and talking about his updates in Ireland. And he said, we're just praying that there just a, a, a national hunger for Christ starts in this church. And he said, it's so oppressive, it's so depressing, Matt, to see the the air and the spirit of religion that is holding and gripping these people. And I said, Ryan, it starts with one. If one person says, I'm hungry, then someone else says, you know what? Me too. And two people say, we're hungry. You know, we can let the events happen around us, or we can say, you know what? I am a man or a woman of God. I am God's child, and I am going to pray and seek the presence of God on behalf of my family, on behalf of my nation. God doesn't need all of a a whole nation to turn to him in order to do something. He needs us. He needs you. He needs me. And together we begin to make this up so we have that access to God. The third one is uh, verse 3 through 5. Let me read this to you. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Let me go back to those questions that I started with. Why is there so much suffering in the world? I'm going to give you a really brief answer that we could end up spending weeks talking about this one question. We have to realize that we live in a fallen world. From the time Adam sinned, death reigned. And so we live in a fallen system. If you think about this, we always ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? If you think about the world that we live in and the fall of man, none of us are good. And so we just have to shorten the question, why do bad things happen? And we have to understand that there is a battle going on. There is an enemy that does seek to destroy us. And we live in a system that is broken. 
And from the time Adam sinned until Christ, death reigned. And through Christ came the justification. Why doesn't God stop the suffering? If God is all-powerful and all-loving, he could snap his fingers and it's fixed. Yes, he can. He doesn't even snap his fingers. He can think about snapping his fingers. He can think it. He doesn't even have to think about thinking about snapping his fingers. (laughs) But God uses suffering for redemption. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in the suffering of Jesus, that any pain God does not relieve, he will redeem. At any point, Jesus could have asked God to relieve all of his pain. But God knew in his plan that he was going to redeem the suffering. And so God will use suffering to mature us. God will use pain to grow us. Uh, Growing can be tough. Uh, God uses discipline to mature us. If you are a parent, you can understand that this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Now, growing up, I didn't buy into that philosophy. I thought, yeah, right. As a parent, I understand what that means. And so I fully believe that when God sees the suffering going on in our life, or uh, he is hurt, but he's willing to redeem it. This is something that I find comforting, encouraging, yet very uh, discouraging at the same time. Any suffering, any trial, any pain that is inflicted upon us has to go through the approval of God. God may not cause it, but God has to approve it. And before we start getting angry at God for allowing something as tragic as September 11, 2001, let's understand that, that God sees something from a perspective that we can't even imagine. He told Isaiah, Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above yours. What did he say in Isaiah? I can't even pick you up and explain what the perspective looks like up here because you'd go, I don't get it. You don't possess the mind and ability to understand the way I think. But you have to trust me. And so what is our response to this suffering? It is trust. Honestly, we sat as a family yesterday saying, God, we don't like this. This hurts. This, we would choose any other thing. On September 11, 2001, I'm stuck in a hotel room in Tampa, Florida watching the news and watching things unfold. All I wanted to do was be with my family. And I had to respond to God. God, I don't like this. I don't want, to be a, I don't want this to be happening. God, just rewind the clock back and fix this. But I had to come to that realization. God, I trust you. Yesterday, sitting in the living room, with the family, God, I trust you. We trust you. We trust that none of this is in vain, that there is a greater purpose. When Paul says we rejoice in our sufferings, honestly, uh, I had a totally different way I was going to illustrate that this weekend until yesterday. And as I sat there thinking, Where do, where's the joy in this, God? 
I mean, I, I'm, I'm willing to lay it out there before God and be honest with God. Because I think that's the only way I'm going to get answers. I'm not going to disrespect my Heavenly Father with how I question Him. But I asked Him yesterday, God, where's the joy in this? How can there possibly... I mean, you, you said in your word that we rejoice in our sufferings. How can we possibly find joy here? And just then someone in the family speaks up. And they talk about what kind of light their son was. Their grandson. And they begin to share stories. And begin to talk about the lives that are changed. And as even as I started reading through Facebook posts, and I see the light that God used in this young man's life to touch so many people. You see, I, I learned yesterday, I don't rejoice for the sufferings. I don't even think I can rejoice in them, but through them. That there is a process God is moving us through. Uh, the, the scripture in Hebrews, for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. How was there joy in that suffering? Because he knew what it would produce. And that it produces this new perspective on suffering. Now, it doesn't mean that we go into trials and suffering going, oh, yeah, praise God. You know, I can't wait for this one. You know, bring it on, God. You know, we don't want to be sick about, you know, God, bring on the pain. We grieve and we mourn. When we hurt, we grieve and we mourn. But 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that we don't grieve as the rest of the world, those that have no hope. You see, because God gives us this hope. Sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Because God is moving us through. There's a blessed hope. There's a day coming that God will end all suffering. He will wipe every tear. And all will be redeemed. And we will be able to look back from the perspective from heaven and go, that's what you were doing. You ever gone through a maze? One Halloween, we went to this church and uh, they were doing a Halloween alternative. Uh, very low budget Halloween alternative. And uh, I think they had gone dumpster diving and gotten all these cardboard boxes and cut them and made a maze for us to crawl through. Uh, it was dark in there, and you had to figure out your way through this cardboard maze in the dark, smelling trash, and, and finding the dead ends. And I took one of the exits. They had, a, they had people that would lift up the flaps and provide help if you needed. I just, when they lifted up that flap, I went out. But the interesting thing is, you could see from the top. Oh, that's, that's it dead ends there. Oh, okay, if I would have taken a right there, I would have made it there. I'm taking a left there. Okay, if I couldn't. You ever done that? You ever had the perspective of being able to look at something from the top after you've tried to make your way through it? It's like the map at Six Flags. <laughs> Does not compute. There will be a time that we... Stand in heaven when God has finished it. And we will look from the top and say, I get it now. I understand. You know what, God, that hurt. That, that, was, a, 
that was a, a, a hurt right there that was, I thought that was an ender for me. But I see what you did through this. God, that was an extremely joyful time in my life, and I'm thankful for that, and I see what you did through that. You see, when, when God tells us that we have this hope, we're seeing things from a different perspective. We, we, we're told that we have faith, hope, and love. And the greatest is love. But through that faith and that hope and that love, they all combine to give us patience that God is doing something in our life. And we begin to see things from a different perspective. And that patience makes it possible for us to endure the trials, to understand God is doing something bigger, not just in our life. We tend to get very selfish with our suffering. When we find ourselves amidst pain, we very much isolate it. We feel alone. And we think, I'm the only one in the world that this has ever happened to. I'm the only one in the world that this is happening to right now. I've walked through, through hurts with families who have gone through a tremendous losses. And I still believe some of the most comforting words are, me too. And I had two moms sit down together who had both lost children. And one of the mothers who had been through this several years on the other side of her journey looked at this mom who was hurting and she said, don't think you're the only one in the world this has ever happened to. She goes, it's, it's not a fun club to be a member of, but you're not alone. And that patience helps us understand that God is working a process in all of us and that we're not alone. And God desires not just for him to walk with us, but for us to walk together through it. Verse 6 through 11, let me finish this up. When you see, just at, the right, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Let me bring some understanding to all of this. Uh, the, our, our experience with God's love, we, we tend to formulate that in a very subjective way. We tend to kind of lock in, well, if God loves me, he's going to give me what I want. If God loves me, I'm not going to go through these hard times. I'm not going to face these challenges. If God loves me, then, then it has to equal something. What I love is God's love is very objective, and we have objective proof of God's love. That while we were yet sinners, Christ gave his life for us. We fall into this trap of thinking, in order for me to get before God, I've got to clean my stuff up. Or how many people are, are missing a, a relationship and a connection in a community of believers in a church and collectively seeking God's face and growing together because they think they've got to clean themselves up to go to church? Now, I believe in showering if you're going to come to church, you know, especially over the last six weeks when it felt like 110 degrees in this room. 
you know, that'll create a new kind of stink. But too many people think we got to clean ourselves up in order to go to church. I've got to look a certain way to be accepted. I've got to have a holy air about me. And people miss out on that. Let, let me explain this to you. And I hope this, I hope this revolutionizes your view of God. That if you struggle with that, while you were dirty and filthy rags, Christ died for you. What Paul's saying is, if we have to die for someone, we may pick somebody who's righteous or pick somebody who's good. See, when the firefighters rushed the building, they weren't going, hey, that person looks righteous. That per-. No, they knew people were in a situation and death was imminent, and they said, we are going to pull as many as we can out and save them. Every firefighter rushed into that building thinking, I will save them all. That's what they're trained for. While we are in peril, God does not look at us and go, if you'll get yourself cleaned up, I'll take care of you. If you'll clean up, if you'll, if you'll get yourself in order, then we can have a relationship. If you'll do these things, then I'll, I'll, I'll appropriate the sacrifice on your behalf. No, while we were filthy rags, Christ said, I love you enough to die for you. Amen. We would not die for our enemy. Christ did. Because he wanted a relationship with us. And what Paul's saying, if God loves us that much when we are considered his enemies, how much more for... Is he going to love us because we're his kids now? I mean, I, I, I look at, y'all have great kids, love y'all's kids and everything, but my kids are just, they're my kids. God looks at us that way. How can we not think that God's going to love us even after and through this time? And God truly desires to love us and we have that objective proof. Um, the word in uh, verse 11 that says atonement, it means reconciliation. Now that we have reconciliation, we're brought back into fellowship with God. You see, because through the fall and living in a fallen world, God wanted to reconcile us and bring us back into relationship with him. And it took the sacrifice of the cross to make it so. And so what our part is, is we don't clean ourselves up. We, we, we have to humble ourselves. And Paul's very clear in Romans that we humble ourselves. We believe this. We confess this to God. We ask the Holy Spirit to do something in our life for transformation. Not to say a magic set of words and God fixes a situation. It's transformation. It's what God truly desires in our life. And so a new perspective on suffering. I hope that we have a new perspective on what this day means, not just for our country, but for us. Because today is a day that we can begin to see things, hopefully from a different perspective. That through our sufferings, we say, God, we trust you because we know you're doing something in this. Don't let this be in vain. And God desires to do something in every one of our lives. And so we give God the glory even in the tough times. And we say, God, I trust you 
there's a joy in this, and I'm going to rejoice for what you're doing in my life. Don't like this situation, but it produces perseverance, which means God's going to give us the strength and the courage to endure it. And he's shaping and molding our character so that we look more like Christ as a result of the tragedy or the suffering and so that we have this hope. I want us to, as a church, um, first of all, humble ourselves before the cross. Uh, I want us to spend some time. And uh, Adam, I'm going to ask you to come up here. uh, But I'm going to pray for us. And then what we're going to do, you have names on the back of your sheet. If you, if you need a sheet, I have some extras up here. But on the back of your worship guide, our list of names. There were four airplanes. And there was the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And every one of you have a list. And at the top of your sheet tells what location that was or what flight that was. And I want us as a church to spend a few minutes in the quietness. Maybe it's for you to spend some time to say, God, I'm hurting. And God, I want you to do something in me. God, I want the peace and that new perspective and that love to overwhelm me this morning. But then I want us as a church the next service has a completely different list of names there is no name printed on these twice I want to make sure every name is prayed for and we're just going to take a few minutes Well, and Adam is going to just play softly I want us to take a few minutes in the quietness of our space to pray for the families of those listed on that sheet because today marks the 10th anniversary of the loss of a loved one and that 10 years may have passed but that hurt becomes fresh again today because it's a public mourning and so I want us to spend that time praying Father we love you We know that you love us more than we could ever imagine. So, Father, this morning we humble ourselves as people, as as Americans, but, Father, as your children. we ask that you through the power of your Holy Spirit and through the power of Jesus on the cross that provides the justification for us to be counted as your children we ask that you give us peace God we just feel your presence so overwhelming in our life. Father, would you pick us up so that we can see 
just a glimpse of life from your perspective. That through your words and truth of scripture, you begin to show us how to see suffering and pain and joy even from a holy and heavenly perspective. Father, we thank you for the love that is so great on us. We thank you that your love for us is so greatly demonstrated through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. That you initiated it, not waiting for us to clean up. Father, as we leave this time of remembrance of a day that has forever changed our our history, our nation, and our lives. Father, we look to the day of your coming. We look with that blessed hope on the day that you will end all suffering and that you will wipe every tear. So, Father, we ask that you just begin to continue the healing in our life. We pray for the families of those that have lost on September 11th. Father, may they be comforted with the peace that passes understanding. And, Father, we just ask for you to Protect the Goodman family today. Protect them with your peace. And help us as their church family to walk with them through this difficult time. We honor you, we love you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.